Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Eric Bilstadt, you, you have three guesses, but the first two don't count. The most bizarre story of, of the day uh, it's got to be the Tubin one, right? The Jeffrey Tubin story. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just okay. If if you haven't been following this, as a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I sent out a note. Um, Jeffrey Tubin is the rabid anti-Trump <clears throat> CNN legal analyst for the last four years. He's also a writer for New York Magazine, but he he's made regular appearances on on CNN and to say he's rabid anti-Trump would be an, an understatement and he, he's been very very public over the last several years well okay he, he says he made a well here, here's how my tweet reads and then we'll we'll dissect okay. this rabid anti-Trump CNN legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin says he made a quote stupid mistake by pleasuring himself during a zoom work meeting no a stupid mistake is when my wife sends me to the grocery store and I bring home the wrong brand of laundry <laughs> soap. That is a stupid mistake. Um, and you could, and I've got a link to the story. It's on, yeah, again, at Jeff Wagner 620. But apparently, the way I understand this, Eric, is that he's on a Zoom meeting. It's mm-hmm. a work meeting. And he, it's with people from New York Magazine and, and things like that. And, you know, you, he, he, they then do go into breakout groups or something like that. And they're yeah. talking about election coverage. And he, he thinks because he's in this breakout group or whatever that the camera is not on him. And so he then decides this is going to be the opportunity to expose himself and start gratifying mm-hmm. him. So this guy's yeah. 60 years old, yeah. you know, and, um, that, that's your understanding of what he did as well, yeah, right? Yeah, and he was. Uh, they sources told uh, Vice that he was either on another Zoom call or looking on another monitor, and yeah, didn't realize that everyone could see what he was doing. Um, I- I- exactly. Um, I-, I love this. Then, then he says, I, I, he he acknowledges that he made an embarrassingly stupid mistake. I believed I was not visible on Zoom. I thought no one on the Zoom call could call me. I thought I had muted the Zoom video. Okay, you look at this. And and what he's just saying, my mistake was I thought the camera was off when I started to do this. It's not, gee, maybe, you know, when I'm in the middle of this work call, maybe I I shouldn't be doing this particular. That's not the that's not the mistake he made. The mistake is he didn't have the camera turned off. Sometimes it's just a challenge to get through the day. I don't know about you, but I mean, I I don't know. I've never had it been quite that challenging before. Like like I say, I mean, people have different midlife crises. Mine is I can't hit my six iron as far as I used to. Mm -hmm. This guy, you're 60 years old. You're on a Zoom call, for goodness sakes. You know, it's like, gee, I'm really sorry. It's embarrassing. I forgot to turn off the camera. You know, I... You know, I, I'm never going to look at a Zoom meeting again. <laughs> right, you have to have hand yeah. checks. You well, have to, I want to see your hands. Well, yeah, I guess the problem was it wasn't that you uh, seeing his hands. Well. It was the other stuff that you started <laughs> to see as well. Yes, you're, yeah, sure. I mean, it's just one. And again, I, I, I understand the whole like, concept of schadenfreude. But here you have, I mean, Tubin, who's been, if you are a Donald Trump supporter, Tubin has been a complete and total outspoken jerk over the course of the last four years. And so... You're kind of sitting there thinking, all right, you know, this is, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is just another version of pandemic fatigue or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, apologize, oh, I apologize to my wife. No kidding. You know, it's like, all right. Uh, uh, so is he done? He's done. I you? don't see how he can recover from this unless, I mean, he's definitely done. I mean, they, he's in demand, too, through the election. I mean, he's done through right. the election for sure. Unless you um, admit faults, go to like sex addiction rehab or something. Right. New Yorker says they've suspended him. He, he's immediately off the air on, on CNN. Um, yeah, they, I love the CNN statement is Jeff Tubin has asked for some time off while he deals with a personal issue. No kidding. <laughs> you know, so I, I, have to, I wouldn't say singular issue. This guy's got, I mean, you, there, there's issues. And then, oh, I've got this little Marcus bump on my arm. And then there's issues like <clears throat> this. I have some audio for you. So he wrote a book about OJ called The Run of His Life, The People versus OJ Simpson. And, of right. course, OJ remembers this. And OJ brought up Tubin today. Damn, Jeffrey Tubin. At least Pee Wee Herman was in an X-rated movie theater. I'm just saying. That's O.J. Simpson. You, 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 <laughs> you know. Okay, when O.J. Simpson is mocking you, you know you've hit rock bottom. You know, seriously, when when O.J. Simpson is making fun of you, you know that that's that's oh, kind of. I don't. Yeah, I, I suspect. Um, I suspect he's he's probably history. I would be my guess. So. Um, <clears throat> Yes, you you want, you're you're exactly right. And if people, if there's anybody out there that hasn't seen the story, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a link to the um, the, the New York Post story. Oh, well, uh, to, also though, to understand that the way like the media covers things and doesn't, um, the Washington Post. Has, oh, we, we've discussed what this story is. The guy was pleasuring himself during the Zoom meeting, and it was caught on camera. Okay, so that's what happens. The Washington Post. Which is, of course, you know, linked to CNN. Um, th- their headline is: The New Yorker suspends writer Jeffrey Tobin, Tobin after accidental Zoom exposure. I mean, it, it's just like, um, let's see, he suspended him after he inadvertently exposed himself during a virtual staff call. How do you inadvertently expose yourself? I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, oh, I, I can't get my zipper up. It's not what he was doing. Oh, no. no, it's fairly <sighs> obvious. It sounds like. Got it. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That is the truth. You know you pretty much hit rock bottom when O.J. Simpson is making fun of you. That, that's, that, that's kind of the test. When O.J. is out there mocking you, it's kind of like, all right, where do you go from here? All right, during the first hour of yesterday's show, I was expressing my displeasure, I guess, and concern with the Trump campaign because I, I think... All this talk about Hunter Biden and lock him up, et cetera, et cetera. I think two weeks before the election, I think that is a losing strategy. And a number of you disagreed with me and some people agreed with me and all. And it just I I, I make that as an observation as to somebody who, who has watched elections and and talked about. I mean, I've been on the radio in this market since the um since the uh, since 1995. So that's like seven presidential uh, elections. And I, I've been paying attention to a lot more than that and it just seems to me that that's not a winning tactic and I understand in 2016 that the going on the attack against Hillary Clinton etc etc I understand that that obviously resonated but 
uh, the mistake that people make, the mistake that generals make when it comes to wars is uh, you, you fight the last war, not the current war. And I think sometimes that happens with campaigns as well. You know, you're, you, you're fighting the 2016 campaign and not realizing it's 2020. My point was that I think the majority of voters that are out there, what they care about most right now is that they care about the economy that by that I mean they care about their jobs their job prospects millions and millions of people have lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19 and the pandemic they're worried about gee how are we going to make our rent payments um, how are we going to put food on the table? So you've got those issues. You've got the economic issues, and you've got, uh, of course, the obvious issue of, of the pandemic. How much longer is this going to last? What is our path out of here? Those are the issues that I, I think are, are driving the vast majority of, of voters, as opposed to, you know, is is Joe Biden's kid a sleaze who traded on the family name in, in order to make a bunch of money that he would have otherwise never had a chance to do? And, and my point was, even if you assume that is a given, I don't think that's what's moving the needle for most voters. And a, a number of you took issue with that. All right. Well, interestingly, there's a new story out. Um, Fred Luntz, Frank Luntz is is a prominent Republican pollster, and he's worked for Republican presidents. He's done party uh, polling for the Republican National Committee for years and years. He's he's sort of the gold standard when it comes to Republican polling. And, you know, he he's doing this interview and I'm, I'm looking at it. He apparently was was speaking at a briefing yesterday. And in his opinion, he, he says that the Trump campaign in 2020 is the, quote, worst he's ever seen. He says that he thinks that some of the president's advisors should be brought up on charges of political malpractice. He says Trump's advisors have their heads up a certain part of their anatomy if they think that the Hunter Biden issue is a winning issue for them. He says I, this is the this is Luntz who's done polling for decades. Um, he says, I've never seen a campaign more miscalibrated than the Trump campaign. Frankly, his staff ought to be brought up on charges of political malpractice. It's the worst campaign I've ever seen, and I've been watching them since 1980. They're on the wrong issues. They're on the wrong message. They've got their heads up, again, a certain part of their anatomy. Your damn job is to get your candidate to talk about things that are relevant to the people you need to reach. And if you can't do your job, then you should get out. Says the Trump campaign has been running ads and holding daily briefings to draw attention to the Hunter Biden allegations. And his point is, you know, people, you know, people don't care about this. Nobody cares about Hunter Biden. Why is Trump spending all his time on him? Hunter Biden does not help put food on the table. Hunter Biden does not help get anyone a job. Hunter Biden does not provide health care or solve COVID. And Donald Trump spends all his time focused on that and nobody cares. Um, it goes on and on. But but again, that's his analysis of the issues that the president in his bid for reelection is not talking about the issues that the people he needs to have vote for him care about. Now, I understand you, you've got a, a, a base that, you know, just loves the red meat and, and loves the let's lock them up and all that sort of stuff. But Luntz's his point is 
that that's that's not where you need to be if you're going to get to that 50% plus one vote that you need to win an election or win enough states to, to carry the electoral college. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this a badly mismanaged campaign? Now, you know, we're, we're two weeks out from Election Day. If you live in Wisconsin, you can you can go and you can start voting in person, early voting, absentee, in person, you know, starting today. People are already doing that. So a lot of votes have, have been cast. So for many people, you know, what happens over the course of the next two weeks, you know, doesn't make any difference. But the, the issues, the COVID, the issue of the economy – isn't that where people really want to be? Has the Trump campaign missed the boat when it comes to the issues that are really going to move the needle for getting people to vote? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That, that's what Frank Luntz says. And I understand some people don't want to hear this and they think, oh, this is nothing but, you know, this anti-Trump stuff. No, I'm talking about the horse race aspect of it. What do people really care about? And I think the Trump campaign is missing the boat. Let's uh, talk about this. Back with more in just a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Mark in Fort Atkinson. Hi, Mark. Hi there. What do you think? Um, I, I don't think the campaign is being uh, run poorly because he gets constantly attacked daily, hourly, weekly. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I love your point of view. And I like to see both sides. But sometimes we don't always agree, which is fine. We should always have opposing uh, ideas so we can hear each other out. But the idea of Hunter be involved with uh, his dad's dealings as vice mm-hmm. president, I think it's only going to get worse as president. And uh, I think it, we should bring that to the forefront. And it is going to be uh, very much connected. And uh, he's run free. And uh, I, I think he should be bringing that uh, to light. Okay, yeah, but, but here's, so here's my question, Mark. As a practical matter, we're, we're two weeks out from the election. And, you know, to the extent there's any sort of persuadable voters that are out there, you have to figure out ways to reach them. And I guess the the pollster's perspective and my perspective to an extent is, all right, how do you do that? I I think most people want we care about covid. We care about the economy. We care about the jobs and the the Hunter Biden thing, even accepting that it's true, that that's number 20 on on the list. And do you think most people are are voting saying, okay, Hunter Biden's a a sleazeball, so we're going to vote for Trump? Is is that what's going to drive most people to the polls? I think it's going to be part of it because uh, Joe Biden is using his influence, um, you know, uh, that's that's illicit uh, business dealings, and I and I think the the idea of bringing Trump to uh, to forest is to drain drain the swamp so that they are paid politicians, not wheeler dealers in billionaire uh, deals on the side. Yeah, well, thanks for calling. And, and obviously, I, I look, I, I I understand, but but that's that's playing to the base. That that's. That's the the 35 or 40 percent of the people who are, are going to run through brick walls to vote for President Trump. I appreciate that. I respect that. You are feeding red meat to, to those base of voters and you're motivating them to get out. And I, and I respect that. 
Um, if you if you believe the polls, and we'll talk about polls in just, in just a little bit, if you believe the polls, if you believe where the money is going, if you believe where the campaigns are spending their, their time, the, the inescapable conclusion is that the Trump campaign figures that they're behind. My only point is, if you're behind, I just don't think that among the average voter that that's going to be something that, that makes a difference. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's go through some tweets. Jeff, it doesn't bother you that VP Biden was on the receiving end of this money? Well, okay, first of all, the, the, this, the scandal has been out there for three, four, five years. It's been investigated. There, there haven't been charges that were issued. But the, but the larger point is, even if we accept the fact that, that Hunter Biden is a sleaze who traded on his family name to get a job that he was otherwise not entitled to, and I'm, I'm going to give you all that, okay? And and even if you can try to make indirect links back to, to Joe Biden, I just maintain that this is not where American voters are in 2020, or at least not the majority. Now, look, I I understand that you have a lot of President Trump's base, and this is red meat for the base, and and I get it. But but this is the same Hillary was a crook, lock her up strategy that worked in 2016. My only point, and the the point of of Frank Luntz, who's a very respected Republican pollster, is that this is a miscalculation. It's not where the public is in 2020. Um, Let's see. Let me just share a couple of texts with you on this. Um, Jeff, if the Trump campaign feels that Hunter Biden is a winning issue, then why does the Biden campaign not bring up the influence and gains which Donald Jr., Eric, and Ivanka have received while Donald has been president? Well, I think, you know, that that's the thing as well. Jeff, you are considering the fact that Hunter Sleaze also enriched Joe Biden and his family, aren't you? Yeah, I, I am. But I'm thinking, okay, I, I just think at some point in time, this all becomes white noise to the voters. And the the idea is to try to win voters. Um, Jeff, it shows Biden is corrupt. It's unfortunate the media isn't reporting the story. Well, the media does report the, the story. Jeff, I have a Republic. I have a friend who's a Republican, but a never Trumper. However, the Hunter Biden's, Biden's uh, story has him leaning against voting for Biden and actually not voting at at all. Um, Jeff, Trump is using the same tactic he used in 2016 when he said that they exposed Hillary Clinton's email scandal with the FBI. I don't think it's going to work this time. Jeff, I agree with you 100%. Um, the service and food industry is hurting. This is true. Manufacturing industry is booming right now. Well, again, I think right now people, if you were to say to the average voter, in trying to decide how you're going to cast your vote. Tell me what your issues are. And I think most voters are going to say, well, we want we want people who have ideas as to how to help us get through the ongoing COVID pandemic and get back to normal. And, and we want people who have ideas as to how we're, we're going to get people who've lost their jobs, get them back to working. I, I think that's what a lot of elections come down to. And a lot of this other stuff, right or wrong, ends up being, I, I think, extremely peripheral to all this stuff is going on. Jeff, I agree this is a badly mismanaged campaign appealing to only the president's loyal base while doing nothing helpful to attract independent and undecided voters he desperately needs. Um, all right, I've got a couple other texts saying, no, Jeff, you're missing this. What this really is, is this is a winning strategy which is going to lure uh, and induce 
undecided voters and suburban women, voters that President Trump badly needs, this is going to bring them over to the, the Trump column. With all due respect, I don't think so. Now, maybe two weeks from now, I'm going to be proven completely wrong, and that that's okay. But I, I think, again, most voters, regardless whether it's a suburban woman or an undecided voter or whatever, most people are, are talking about, all right, COVID-19 and talking about how we're going to get through this. And if they've lost their jobs or they've had their hours cut or if they've had their pay cut, they're talking about things like that. And how are we going to get the kids back in school as opposed to doing this virtual learning? I, I mean, I think those are the issues that are on the minds of the American public. Um, so Jeff, uh, Jeff, I find myself in a position as an independent of voting for the lesser of two evils. It would take a very strong independent candidate and my vote would change, um, instantaneously. However, I feel I have to vote for Trump because his administration is potentially less corrupt than Biden. Okay. That's, that's fine. Um, and, and I know that there's people out there that feel like that. I'm just saying, I just, when we look back and we write, if President Trump goes on to lose, there's going to be a lot of factors. And as I've said before, I think if it were not for COVID-19, I think President Trump would have coasted to re-election. COVID-19 completely and totally changed the game, which brings up what I want to talk about next. I have maintained that I think the, I think the Trump campaign perceives that it is behind. There is a there is a uniformity of of polling that's out there. Now, hear me out for a minute that suggests that that he's he is trailing in states that he won before. Um, now, I understand the polls in 2016 were, were not right. They, they had some flaws in them. So you can say, OK, that means the polls in 2020 aren't going to be right. He's trailing in the polls. He's trailing in money. Um, that, that has been spent, getting outspent in Wisconsin, for example, the, the, the numbers are just absolutely staggering as to how much more the Biden campaign or Biden um, allies are, are spending on Biden's behalf than Trump. Um, in addition to that, if you look at the electoral map the last two weeks, you look at places where Trump is going versus places where Biden is going. President Trump is going to states to shore up his support. And these were states that I think three or four months ago, people never thought that they might be in play. Now, apparently they are because he's spending time in those different states. So that tells me that, that, that the Trump campaign perceives himself as being the Trump campaign perceives itself as being behind. That's also one of the reasons I think you have the let's pivot and let's do the attacks on Biden and lock him up and all those sorts of things. Now, whenever I say that, I get blowback and that that's fine. No, Jeff, you don't understand your analysis is wrong. The polls are wrong. Um, President Trump is drawing huge, huge numbers of people that show up at this rally. These people are all passionate, which I concede. But, you know, passionate people at a rally doesn't translate into 50 percent of the vote plus one. But people are passionate. Um, I In my neighborhood, I see all these Trump yard signs. I don't see any for Biden. The polls are wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I hear a lot of that. All right. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If you believe that all these polls are wrong, all these polls that show that President Trump is trailing right now, in not just in the popular vote, but in all these different key states. If you believe these polls are wrong, this is your opportunity. Tell me why. 
Why do you think all these indicators two weeks out from the election that suggest the election is going to have an outcome one way, why do you think it's going to be different? Is it because, well, the polls missed this in 2016 and the same thing that's going to happen in 2016 is going to happen in 2020? Why? Why is this general perception that is out there among pundits and among a lot of politicians that the Trump campaign is in a lot of trouble why is that wrong? If you believe it's wrong, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, the polls cannot be believed because of the cancel culture and the shaming of Republicans. The polls are incorrect because people are remaining quiet. I think Trump will have over two hundred ninety electoral college votes. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. As somebody who's been again covering elections, presidential elections on the radio for you know twenty five years now, that there are certain telltale signs just beyond the polls as to you know who who's ahead. You look at money, you look at where the candidates are spending your time, you look at the issues that people are focusing on, and you look at the polls. All those indicators suggest that President Trump is behind. I, some people don't want to hear that, but that's fine. Tell me why that's that's wrong, because I know a lot of you don't agree with that assessment. Let's start with Christina in Hartford. Hi, Christina. Hey, Jeff. Um, two big reasons. I have many reasons why I think Trump is doing really well, but two that I'll touch on. One, the media is not the same as it used to be. They only report on the stories they want to report on and the spin that they want to put on it. My second reason is I talked to you about a month ago, and I told you that um, I'm talking to a lot of people and campaigning and collecting signatures. And I won't get into the recall because I know it's not the topic, but we did accomplish that goal. And we did it without the help of the Republican Party and the media. So there are people out there in the middle of the state. You've got to pay attention to us and you've got to pay attention to the people in the middle of the United States, not just what the East Coast and the West Coast is saying. So when you see the these polls that are out there, Christina, that suggest that in that that President Trump is trailing, even trailing in states that he carried four years ago, do you just just discount them? Do you think that that's that? Why why are those polls wrong? Yes, I guess I discount them because the minute you say polls, my ears close, and I try not to be naive. I collect um, my news from several different sources, but. Um, I guess nobody knew, nobody guessed, got it right when Trump won the first right. time. And, I, and I've talked to you about that as well. And it's for the same reasons. We're pulling the same people. We're pulling the East Coast, the West Coast. Um, you're not listening to the inside of the U.S. and the inside of your state of Wisconsin. And there are a lot of us, and we're very active, and we love our president. Um, I just I, I know we're not talking recall, but I know I remember when you called in, you were one of the people who were circulating them. Um, Six hundred and sixty eight thousand three hundred and twenty seven valid petitions by October 27th. You you, you think they're going to you're going to have those numbers? You're going to get those on the I, recall? I absolutely do. Um, I've been confident for a long time. I live in the small city of Hartford in Hartford alone. I've collected 2000 signatures just myself. Another 1,000 in area communities, and that's just me. And there are so, so many of us that are doing this. It is unbelievable. Christina, thanks for the call. And look, 
th- thanks for participating, regardless of how we feel about the recall or or how the election is going to turn out or where the state of the horse race is now. I, I always re- I really do re- respect people for participating and caring. Let's talk to Jeff in Elkhorn. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, my, my sense Good. is the Trump campaign is behind. Is that wrong? Well, I'll start off by saying that I am a Joe Biden supporter. And here's just my theory. And I wasn't sure if it was on your show or some other show earlier this week that, that I heard that Trump supporters are underpulled. And so here's just my idea. I think um, on one hand, many Trump supporters are actually to pu- publicly afraid to say they are. Yes, I think that's true. But, hypocrit- but hypocritically, I still think they will vote for him for whatever particular reason. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that it's, I don't even know that it's hypocritical. I, I think some people, be, because the, the popular culture and, and the mainstream media has been so relentlessly anti-Trump, that I think people are reluctant to admit that publicly because they, have, well, they think they're going to get shamed or abused. Isn't that hypocrisy when you mm. won't stand up for what you believe in and, and state it vocally? Well, I don't know that that's hypocrisy. I mean, I, I mean, it, it, hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. In that case, it's just, hey, look, we're, we're not telling you how we oh, feel about okay. this. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure it's that. Okay. I mean, okay. I, you know, oh, but, but I pre- thanks for I mean, and I, I, I appreciate, no, I wouldn't say it's hypocrisy. I, it's just like, look, I don't, I don't want the hassle about this. I, I you know, I'm not going to put a Trump yard sign up in my yard because I, I don't want it to be vandalized or, or whatever, whatever the concerns are. I, I don't want to, sit uh, i'm a public school teacher and i don't want to sit in the break room and say that i really like the stuff that donald trump has done because all i'm going to do is i'm going to get shunned by the other people in the room who don't agree with me so no i don't think it's hypocrisy i i I do think that there is a resentment and i think republicans are under polled i was reading a real interesting but but whether that's enough to make up the difference see that's that's it i was reading a real interesting thing on polling last night and it was saying you know one of the big mistakes they made in 2016 was they they didn't account for for education because what what happens they, they had a disproportionate number of college graduates that were in the, the samples because those were people who tended to participate in the polls and they tend to be more liberal than conservative so it skewed the numbers so i mean the, the pollsters say they've gotten better at it i mean we'll we'll know soon i guess Craig in Beaver Dam. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, on the polls, uh, there's no way to tell. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think uh, uh, Mr. Trump, our president, is in, in deep trouble, even though I plan to vote for him. Um, but I have so many issues and questions on polling. Who is being polled? How many? You know, mm-hmm. when you read that fine print underneath, sometimes it's, 1,200 people, 950 people, you know, and then they say this plus or minus 2.0 all the way right. up to 6.8. That percentage or is that points? Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, well, it, I mean, thanks. It's it, it it's just I mean, different polls have different kind of methodologies. And I know and I, I know what fuels a lot of people is they say, 
look, we, we've never been polled. You know, we've never been asked. I know there's a lot of people who, who just choose, who don't trust the polls, so they choose not to participate. And, and that tends to be people who are more conservative, not saying that liberals don't do that, but that's the factor as well. I, I think, and I know also, I mean, I, I, I had two people yesterday were saying, Jeff, you, you don't understand. I was at the Janesville rally for President Trump. The people are excited. People are motivated. And, and yeah, I, it's kind of like the yard sign thing. You look around your neighborhood and you see all the yard signs for candidate X. And then you say, okay, well, that means candidate X must be winning because all these yard signs in my neighborhood. Well, okay, your, your neighborhood is only, you know, 10 houses out of maybe, you know, 10,000 houses that vote. So I, I think sometimes we get, what's the word I'm thinking of? Myopic. You know, we, we tend to be focused here. Look, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who are distrustful of polls. I know there's a lot of people who just kind of have this tunnel vision. Bottom line is we're going to know in two weeks. I, I just I, I look at where the candidates are. I look at the body language and it tells me who which campaign thinks it's winning. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win, but. I, I do think from the Trump campaign, they still need to have a couple game changers, and I don't know what that game changer is going to be. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, so Eric Bilstead, I have my, my favorite... It's actually it's three consecutive tweets from the same person. So okay. I'm going to roll this all in. This, these are my favorite tweets of, of the day so far. Okay. okay so I'm, I'm going to roll these all in. First one that comes in at 1237. Every day you're talking about Trump. Please go away. Then 1249. Jeff, please resign. And then 1250. Your show is the worst on radio. To which I, I I decided to respond. I'm going to share it. I, my, my, my note back was, the worst on radio? Wow, that covers a lot of ground. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that, that's that, the worst on radio. That's, yeah, that's like being mocked by O.J. Simpson. <laughs> the worst on radio. And then I just said, well, thanks for listening anyway. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. Gru, that means you are the producer of the worst show on, on radio. Oh, man. How, how have we been able to do this for you know 22 years at WTMJ and 25 years in this market and, and these different awards the show gets and stuff? It's the worst show on mm-hmm. radio. It just gets you shows you can't please no, <laughs> please all the people so. all the the time. Um, yes, one of our texts why are they listening then? Well, that that is we- <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> it is. It, it, see, I I used to say that back in the beginning, you know, years and years ago, because I mean, you'd get these like hostile things and people get all worked up, and I'd say, you know, the the radio, the great thing about radio is every radio has two dials. One turns the channel and one turns it on and mm-hmm. off. But sure. but but it is. It's this amazing thing about this medium that people, even if they're up upset or irritated they'll, they'll continue to listen i i get these t- i'm never listening to you again and then three days later you got a text from the same person who's just as upset so it's the worst <laughs> show on radio you're doing news <laughs> wow, for the worst show say. on radio the worst <laughs> you know it's a badge honor right there it, it, it is I, I guess you know we've been able to fool people for <laughs> you know a couple decades here all right um, <laughs> why are you talking about Trump? Well, we do have this thing coming up. In, this is a current event show, and we talk a lot about current events. I actually do less politics than I think a lot of hosts do. But the truth is, we, we've got elections that are coming up. And, it's, you know, when you do a current event show, this is one of the things, together with COVID-19, that we have been talking about 
since March, um, elections are one of the things that, that's kind of on the agenda, which brings me to what I want to discuss with you in this first segment of the hour. The um, third presidential debate is the third scheduled presidential debate is going to happen on Thursday night. Now, we all know there was supposed to be a town hall debate last week, and uh, they were going to do it virtually. President Trump said he wouldn't participate, so as a result, they, they did not have the debate. The third debate is going to be on Thursday. Now, after the debacle that was the first debate, and yes, I, I'm sorry, it was it was a debacle. Candidates interrupting, talking over each other, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday, the the de- the commission that puts on the debates said, okay, here here's here's the deal. Um, once each candidate has delivered his two minute reply. Um, the other candidates are going to be allowed to freely engage with each other for the remainder of the 15-minute segment. But in the beginning, in the beginning, if you try to interrupt during that first two minutes that you have and then the two-minute response that the other candidate has, if you try to interrupt, they're going to turn off your microphone. And then, you know, after you go through that, that first back and forth where people get to give their statements, then then they're going to just let them go at it. But in an effort to try to provide some focus, what they're going to do, they say, look, if, if you interrupt during the, this first two-minute thing, what's going to happen is they're going to moot, mute your microphone. Uh, President Trump is unhappy with that. It's not going to be the moderator that does it. It's going to be somebody else that's back in the control booth that, that has their, their finger on the button. Trump campaign is extremely unhappy about this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, the Trump campaign is unhappy about this, but they're 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 not going to not participate because of it. In an effort to maintain some control, some decorum, and it applies to both candidates, what happens is the first two two-minute blocks, one from each candidate, it's going to be a, a mute-free, it's going to be an interruption-free zone. Will, is this a good thing? Is this a positive thing? Is it a good idea? Or is it just overreaching by the Presidential Debate Commission? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, feel free to disagree with me on this, but I think the first debate was such a cluster just such a cluster that they had to do something. And, you know, frankly, I don't think President Trump helped himself during that debate. And again, if you believe the polls, and I know a lot of people choose not to, I, I think it, it turned a lot of people off. But I, I think the idea of at least giving each candidate two uninterrupted minutes to make their point, I think that is a reasonable compromise. And then, you know, after that, if it turns into a free-for-all, it turns into a free-for-all. But I don't think it's an unreasonable position. I think the Presidential Debate Commission had to do something. I think they had to do something after that first debate, and this seems to me a reasonable step to try to rein in the candidates. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, again, I, 
I, I just think the first debate, and, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who, you know, w- was on the high school debate team and in, in college. I was on our national debate team, traveled all across the country. And in law school, I was on our national moot court team, which was like the equivalent of debate in law school. And I, I coached a high school debate team when I was trying to make money going through law school and things. So I, I appreciate the value of good debate. And, and I understand that politics isn't beanbag or anything like that. But I, I thought, I, I just thought, the first presidential debate was just, it was demeaning. I, I, the, the analogy I gave back then was that if Martians had landed in Cathedral Square and tuned into that debate, they would have left 15 minutes later convinced there was no intelligent life on Earth. I, I just, I thought it was just unbecoming, and I, I don't even want to assign blame or whatever. Um, I think... The idea of we're at least going to give each candidate in the first in each segment of they're going to have like six segments. We're going to give them two minutes to say what they want to say. And then we're going to open up the floor. And then, then you can go back and forth. I think that's a, a reasonable compromise. Joe in Greenfield. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, Jeff, thanks for taking my sure. call. Um, I think this is a great format this way because really. I don't think Donald Trump debates. He, you know, he never even comes close to it. I mean, I don't have a chance to watch it because my son was on a debate team in high school. And, you know, really, it's very interesting if it's done correctly. But I'll tell you something. I mean, it's like he just wants to take over the floor and talk about things that have nothing to do with the subject that right. they're even bringing up. So, I mean, really, he's, he's just not a debater as far as I'm concerned. And really, they have to shut him off at times. Well, and you know, and and right, and then and then you know, Biden responded in his way. In his own way, Biden responded in his own way. And 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 look, I just this is a compromise. This is you know, this is, and I, I think it, it's if I was on the debate commission, you're sitting there saying, look, we we want to have people engage with each other. The, the worst debates at all are, are the debates that aren't the debate. Okay, well, you you know, we're going to throw a question at you, and then you've got two minutes to respond, but we're not going to hold your feet to the fire. You, you can go off, and you can launch off on anything that you want to talk about, and, and then we're going to move on to the next question. Those are not interesting to me a, at all. You, you want to have the candidates be able to engage in, in some sort of give and take, and, and this, this accommodation, this compromise, I think accommodates both things trust me you know you've got they've got six topics the way i understand it 15 minutes devoted to each of the six topics so two minute statement from trump two minute statement from biden and then you've got an 11 another 11 minutes to kind of go after each other and and there's going to be plenty of opportunity to interrupt and to try to hold people's feet to the fire and all that but this is at least a way at least at the beginning to try to, I, I think, keep things in perspective. Let's talk to Mike in Mayville. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think? Yeah, I think really after the first debate, this was the only option they have. And I'm, I'm a Trump supporter, and I think if he just sticks to the issues, he'll do fine. I think he did himself a disservice in the last debate, as did Biden. But um, I just think this is a better way for people to see both candidates. Well, well, right. So as a Trump supporter, you watched that debate and you, you were kind of shaking your head, huh? Very much so. I was um, I mean, I've said all along, if he, if he could only get out of his own way, he'd do much better. Yeah, I, right. And I, and I guess that was I, I mean, I, I guess I sort of had I not sort of I had the same reaction. I mean, he kind of steamrolled in and he kind of came, he came across to me like being being a bully, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it, it turned off 
a lot of voters that were out there. So maybe this is a format that that keeps him, you know, at, at least to your extent, to, to what you said, it, it keeps him out of his own way for just a little bit. But it's going to give him the opportunity to still be aggressive and all. Um, I, I'm going to be watching it. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm fascinated to see how this whole thing plays out. Oh, I will be watching 100 uh, percent. Me and my friend watched it last time. and We'll watch it again. And yeah, um, yeah. I think it's going to be a much better format. Yeah, no, thanks. You know, the, the, now the one thing I would caution the president on is is to watch the nonverbals. Remember, after the Kamala Harris uh, Mike Pence debate, one of the criticisms, and I I offered that criticism as well. I thought I thought Kamala Harris uh, Kamala Harris's nonverbals were awful. I, I thought the eye rolling and that type of stuff, and and I, I think that. Really, I think she needs to work on on that. That would be my respectful advice. And, and I think probably Joe Biden and President Trump need to work on that as well, because I'm, I'm trying. You know, the camera is going to be on you. So, you know, it's going to be split screen. So Joe Biden's going to be talking. And I think President Trump needs to resist that urge to for the involuntary eye rolls or, you know, whatever other gestures you might see. And I would say the same thing to to Joe Biden as well. Let's talk to um, let's see, Joe and Jackson. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well. Thank you. I, what do you think? I think. I think uh, I think the, the important thing to me was how we looked on a world stage. Um, I think that the last debate was such an embarrassment, um, and I hope that the, the ability to turn off the mic might steer them both to come up with different strategies, different approaches. Um, I don't know how. I mean, to be honest, between the two of them, I don't know how much, how much competence we're dealing with. I mean, as much as Trump supporters want to say they support Trump, and as much as Biden supporters want to say they support Biden. <laughs> we, yeah. we just aren't putting up two two superstars here, and on a world stage, the last debate just made us, you know, the U.S. just looked like a bunch of idiots. Well, it it did. That that's you know that was the thing. I was I was reading a lot of the foreign papers, and and again, admittedly, there's kind of this anti-U.S. bias that's there. But I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree with some of the things that these commentators were saying. It's like, what right. the heck is going on here? These are the two people who want to be the leader of the free world, and they're behaving like I don't know kids in seventh grade getting into an argument on the playground. And when you watch the when you watch like uh, the U.K. Um, the, the way they debate uh, in their legislature and stuff like that. It's, it's, they, they have their little quips and they have their little humor, but they have such a poise to them. And I just don't know why we can't reflect that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, Trump is a tr- Trump is a reality TV star. That's what he is. And, and yeah. you know, Biden Biden might just be a little bit aged, but um, I don't know. I just think that that I really do hope that they whoever is putting helping them put together a strategy um, is. You know, maybe influenced to the point where they they have some type of voice. They come on the stage and represent this country a little bit better. Well, right, they, they, and, and advance their own interests. Because if I were, if I were one of, I look, I don't know who President Trump listens to. I, I don't. But if I were one of the the Trump advisors. I, you, you you take him aside after that debate performance and say, Mr. President, we, we, we understand that you want to be aggressive and, and all that, but that the way you approached this at the first debate did not work. You know, that, that bull in the China shop, you know, strategy 
backfired and it backfired badly. So now you've got another chance. And again, you want to be aggressive. You want to expose the flaws of Joe Biden. You want to at the same time convince people that you're better prepared to lead this country for the next four years. But you you, you got to figure out a different style than you, you demonstrated the first time. And and maybe just maybe this this helps a little bit because it, it gives you something to play off of. You know, Biden talks for two minutes, then, you know, whatever he says, then then you go after that. Don't know. But I, I don't think this is the end of the world. And it's still I tell you, if it makes for a slightly more civil debate and maybe a more concrete discussion of issues, I think it's going to be good. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, muting the candidates for two minutes is fair. It's better than the shock collar idea suggested in jest by some of your callers after the last debate. Um, I still don't know who I'm voting for. Hopefully be able to hear them for two minutes will help me decide. Yeah, that we were talking about that after that last debate. You know, it's kind of like if you've got the dog that barks, you know, one of the things that you do is you can get those shock. I, my dog barks a little bit, but I can't put the shock collar on her. But, um, you know, you, you just kind of give that little zap. I was thinking maybe that was the deal for the presidential debates. You know, and with, if they're just interrupting too much or whatever, you give that person the control tower, the, the ability to push that button and just, you know, you don't set it up on 10. You just set it at two or something like that and go from there. I actually think that this is a, a pretty good idea. Um, Jeff, you say you're saying that Trump needs to worry about his nonverbals. Well, how about his his vocals? Can you imagine if the commission cuts his mic and the president continues to yell and interrupt? That would be embarrassing. Well, that that's I mean, that's always the issue because you can cut off somebody's microphone, but then they can, you know, then they can yell. Um, I, hopefully that's not going to be the case. Uh, Jeff, I don't think there's going to be any decorum regardless of what you would do. Um, Jeff, if I were advising Trump, it would be to never interrupt Biden. Let him prattle. I don't know. I, again, I, I'm just going to be curious to see what the strategy what the strategy is that people come up with and whether there's a different strategy for either candidate um, on Thursday night. I will say this. I, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be must see TV. No question about that. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, um, there's an interesting I'm fascinated to watch this documentary. There's a lot of good television out nowadays, and um, tonight on on PBS Channel 10 in in our listening in the immediate Milwaukee listening area, there, there's a documentary on Walter Winchell. Rude, do you know who Walter Winchell was? You do not. Okay, Walter Winchell was he was one of the the first radio commentators that had just a huge influence. Um, His heyday was from the the 1930s to the mid-1950s, and he was arguably the most powerful voice as far as a, a commentator in in the country and he was he was very opinionated. I mean, he he did in in his own sort of version, you know, he did he did what became, you know, the the talk radio medium. Now it's 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 different now than it was in Winchell's day. But he was like the the original celebrity gossip columnist um, who you know had political opinions and things like that. And he was very very successful. And he ended up flaming out. He associated himself with Joe McCarthy and um, had some 
very, very racist and homophobic approaches that would, would not fly by today's standards and ultimately caught him caught him up. But he was very, very successful, and then he crashed and burned. Um, it, a lot of people don't know about him. There's a, I have not seen the documentary. It gets very high marks. And again, it's on PBS tonight um, from 8 until 9 o'clock. I don't know what else is on, but I know I set my um, I set my recorder to, to record it because I think if you're – it's called Walter Winchell, The Power of Gossip. I, I, haven't, I have no doubt that it's going to be really, really good. It might might not be completely fair, might do him a little bit of a disservice. Don't know that. But um, I think it's going to be much watched TV. And if you don't know who Walter Winchell is, I, I think it's probably worth your, your time to record it or to check it out. Okay, let's talk about herd immunity. Herd immunity, when you are dealing with a virus, a pandemic, a disease, measles, for example. Herd immunity occurs at that point where enough people have the disease or have had the disease, they've had the flu, have had the virus, had the measles, whatever, where they're either there's enough people that have either had it, so they're not going to get it again, or they, they've been vaccinated against it. So the bottom line is, if you get, and, and people argue at, at what point in time do you get to herd immunity, but the idea is that once 40%, 50%, 60%, 80% of the population are protected from a disease by virtue either of, a, of an inoculation, a vaccine, or they've had it, so they don't get it again because they're, they have their own natural antibodies. Once you get to a, a certain point, the herd, the number of people out there becomes so large that people are protected against it. Then the remaining people who haven't been vaccinated or haven't gotten sick, they're, they're, they're effectively protected as well because the disease isn't passing. There, there's nowhere for it to go. So many people are protected from it that you're not going to be in danger of spreading it to other people. That, that's, that's the idea in simplest form behind herd immunity. Well, the problem with, with herd immunity is that you, you need, especially herd immunity when there's not a vaccine. The problem with herd immunity is you need people to get sick in, in the first place. So you need all sorts of people to get sick before you get to a point where enough people have gotten sick so that they then have the antibodies so they don't get sick again. So the, if you don't have a vaccine, Herd immunity essentially means we're going to let just a whole bunch of people get sick and then they let them spread it, let more people get sick and let more people get sick. And then ultimately, you know, enough people will have gotten sick that uh, they have immunity built up and they won't risk spreading it to other people. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's a couple people in the administration who are pushing the concept of, of herd immunity. In other words, you know, just letting people get sick. We should just recognize that COVID-19 is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. So the quickest way to get through it is to get as many people sick as possible so that they can recover. And then once they recover, presumably they won't get sick again and they won't have to worry about them passing it on. That's the theory. Again, the problem is, you know, people are going to be getting sick, and that means that people are going to be dying. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, herd immunity is something that, that's desirable. 
You know, we want that. That's what we ultimately need to accomplish to make different viruses, diseases, whatever, go away. However, to try, at least in my opinion, to try to accomplish herd immunity without having a vaccine is just unreasonably risky. Because the only way without a vaccine that you get herd immunity is counting on 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent of the population getting sick, in this case, getting COVID. I understand that for COVID, the vast majority of people who get it are going to, I don't know, in some cases, be asymptomatic, not get sick at all. In other cases, they're going to get sick, they're going to feel crappy, but they're going to get better, and, and then presumably they're going to be protected. But there's going to be a certain percentage of those folks that are going to get sick and they're going to get really sick and they're going to have long-term consequences or worst-case scenario, they're going to die. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Herd immunity without a vaccine. I think that is unreasonably risky. And, of course, that's the that's what some people are pushing. Look, we're all going to get it, so you might as well go out and have that big old party. So you, you go to that group, so 400 people get you know sick at the same time. Big deal. They're going to get sick. They're going to get better. Problem is that of those 400, you know, m- maybe, you know, 380 are going to get sick and they're going to get better. But uh, of that remaining 20, 15 of them are going to be in the hospital and five are going to die. And it seems to me that that's an unreasonable thing. We're not going to get herd immunity until we get that vaccine. 855-616-1620. Let's discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Some people are talking about herd immunity, which is it, it, it's ultimately the way that, that you, you make diseases or viruses, you know, go go away, that you, you reach a certain point where so many people in the population have had it that there's nobody left to transmit it and, and the disease just kind of the virus kind of dies away. It, it's great. I just think that trying to do it without a vaccine means that you're going to be exposing all sorts of people to to getting really sick and people dying. And, and I think, you know, Am I in favor of massive lockdowns? Of course not. I've been arguing against that for six or seven months. But there's got to be a middle ground between shutting down the entire economy and, on the other hand, just let's treat this as the Wild West and let's everybody get sick. Because, you know, if you take that approach, some of the people that get sick are, in fact, going going to die. We have to have a balancing. Paul in the North Shore. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Hi, Paul. Uh, You know, so... With the death rate of the flu at 0.1% roughly, we would need 330,000 people to die to get uh, herd immunity from the flu, which we have a vaccine for. We're already at 220,000 for COVID, mm-hmm. and we've only had 8.2 million cases in the United States. So yeah. if you extrapolate that out, uh, we're like 2.5% death rate. You'd have like 6,800,000 people die to get herd immunity. Yeah. Right. Without a vaccine. You know, another way of looking at what you're saying is, is my numbers say that about 85 to 90 percent of the American population is still susceptible to coronavirus. So we're a way, 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 way away from anything close to herd immunity without a vaccine. So to your point, yeah, there's 
lot, lot of people, millions of people are going to have to get sick and uh, people are going to die as a result of that. And I guess I don't think that's acceptable either. Um, and that's, that's kind of the balancing act that, that's there. Herd immunity is a very, very desirable thing. We, we want to achieve it, but the reality is it's almost impossible to achieve w- without a vaccine. Now, the, the flip side is, remember when this whole thing first started, you see all the doctors that were out there, and they'd say, okay, we want to flatten the curve. Back then, we all understood that flattening the curve didn't mean that the virus was going to go away. The virus isn't going to go away till you get herd immunity, and that's not going to happen, at least in my opinion, until you have a vaccine. But you want to kind of space it out. You don't want to have the outbreaks. You want to make sure that the healthcare system is not overwhelmed. And I think that's got to be the goal moving forward, that you you have enough testing. And I believe the answer is kind of contract tracing and quarantines for people who've been exposed. I mean, I think that's the the answer as opposed to, okay, let's just shut this stuff down. I, I don't think people can put up with that anymore. I don't think they will put up with that anymore. But we're in a waiting game till there's a vaccine. And by the way, I understand that when we get a vaccine, there's going to be all sorts of people that don't want to, want to get it. I, I, I understand that. And that's going to delay us getting to herd immunity. But that's a whole different story. Let's talk to David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Thanks David. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, you took a little bit of my thunder there. I was just going to mention there's going to be a substantial amount of people that are not going to take the vaccine because... Right a fear that the vaccine is going to do something to you. And unfortunately, that's just horrendous. I listened to Governor Cuomo and saying, you know, this is not going to work and everything. Well, there is still a lot of testing, and it still has to be approved through both the private and the public uh, administration end of things. And, you know, to your point, uh, yes, with the herd immunity, if, if people do not take the vaccine, it is going to take longer. It is going to delay it. That being said, there is one thing I like to point out to you. If you, um, there is a, a group of doctors, uh, Great Barrington Declaration, and what they proposed is doing a focus concentration of the most vulnerable. Yeah. If you look at what if you look at what Sweden did. Sweden actually has, you know, they never did any lockdowns. They never enforced face masks. However, they did do social distance and encourage people to wash their hands and stuff of that nature. So the general population, the healthy population in Sweden got infected. Like, it's if you look at the rates, mm-hmm. they do have herd immunity because if you look at the amount of deaths, it's almost nothing now. Uh, what they did say was, unfortunately, they should have focused on with the older people or people that had ailments, mm-hmm. they, they need to be protected as best as they can. And unfortunately, the one thing, the final thing I'll say is this, is that the United States, we are a very obese country. We have a lot of diabetics mm-hmm. and other things. That's another complication that we have going forward because of our of our lifestyle that we live. So, no, I, I, I mean, I think, see, I think, you know, we're we're sort of on the same wavelength, David, to an extent. I mean, I, I, I think to, to me, it's not lockdowns. To me, it's, it's testing. 
It's contact tracing to figure out who might have been exposed. It's quarantines for people who have been exposed. And it's, um, to your point, and it's concentrating on on protecting those who are the most vulnerable, you know, diff- different rules maybe for the nursing homes or, or things like that. You kind of put all that together and, and then kind of the waiting game for when the vaccine comes out. So, I, I mean, I think it, it's all those different factors. I, I think I understand back in March why we did the, the lockdowns. I just don't think that's practical. And I don't think that's going to work anymore. But I also concede that moving forward, you know, people people need to embrace some of the strategies and, and some of the, okay, social distancing things. And let's not do the stupid stuff like, you know, having 400 people in the beer tent, you know, dancing next to each other on, on a, on a Friday night, because that's just a recipe for getting people sick. And even if we accept the premise that people are going to get sick, all right, you, you don't want so many people getting sick at once that you, you overwhelm the hospital system. That's what I talk about when I say we got to figure out a way to, at least for the near term, figure out how to live with coronavirus. Let's, let, let's recognize that some people are going to get it. Let's try to make sure that the people who get it aren't the ones that are most likely to end up either in the hospital or the morgue. Let's concentrate our resources on protecting those folks, and let's concentrate on, on making sure that you don't have that huge event where all of a sudden, you know, a, a hospital in Brown County is overwhelmed and there's no room for, you know, anybody else. Let's talk to uh, Connie in Portage. Hi, Connie. Hi. Um, I'm an old nurse. And I lived through polio and a lot of other diseases. And I think herd immunity is crazy. I can't imagine. Well, not only all of the deaths that you think about, but what about all the side effects, the lasting side effects that go on? And what about if we'd had herd immunity with polio? Now, I can't imagine all the paralyzed people and the deaths. I just cannot understand this thinking at all. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's really yeah. no, no, thanks for calling. And, and I, again, I, I, I appreciate you have to find that balancing that is out there between people cowering, it, refusing to live life. Let's destroy the economy. And, and whenever I say that, I always get this text saying, oh, you don't, you don't care about, you know, people's lives. No, I, of course I care about lives, but I, I also, I care about the economy and I care about people's jobs and because, and their livelihoods and because, you know, it's all interrelated, and I don't accept it as a zero-sum game. I think you have to find that balancing that's out there. But to your point, you know, while we're waiting for the vaccine that is effective, and and I don't know how long that's going to take. I mean, I I see the same things you do, where you say even once they have a vaccine, people are saying, okay, well, I'm I'm not going to be first in line to get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait six months. I'm gonna wait a year. I'm gonna wait two years. And who knows if the vaccine's even going to be effective? We get the annual flu shot, and and people get the flu every year. So it's it's going to be a, a struggle. While we're waiting for that struggle, though, I don't want to destroy the economy, and I also want to figure out things that we can do to perhaps be smarter with dealing it. But when I hear herd immunity just thrown around without a vaccine, to me, that, that makes no no sense. And I think reasonable people could say, well, wait a minute, if 85 to 90 percent of the population hasn't been exposed to coronavirus yet, and you're talking about you're talking about herd immunity without a vaccine, that means that there's going to be 
you expect tens of millions of more people just to get sick. And especially if they all get sick in a relatively short period of time, what what are we going to do with the hospital system? That That's, I think, the frustration that people have. All right, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, including, all right, how is the pandemic affecting your trips to the dentist? We're going to talk about, is this something really, really cool or just just $2,500 thrown down the toilet and a lot more. It's all coming up in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, you know what's on my agenda for this evening? You know what, what the plan is Ooh. as soon as I get off of work? Yeah, it's a, well, let's see. Yesterday was a massage. Yeah. Oh, that, that and worked did that out. go good? Yeah, I'm sore, but that's good. <laughs> that, you know, that's that, a good feeling. That, it, it is a good feeling. Yeah, you know, right. So today, today is more civic oriented. The massage was for me. Mm, but yeah. I'm going to say you're going to go in person vote. We're going to go in person absentee nice. vote. Ab- absolutely. I, I was kind of wrestling with this because I, I, I love going on election day. I love everything about that, but I, I don't know what the lines are going to look like. And election days are, are typically kind of busy for for us around mm-hmm. here. Plus, there there is. The, the whole COVID thing, and and I'm, I'm sure to be safe. But do you want to do you want to stand in a line for a long? If if the line is a half hour, an hour, do you want to do that? So um, I think my wife was leaning towards wanting to go in person, you know, on election day. Mm-hmm. But I said, let's just why don't I come home and let's just scoot over. And as long as there's too much of a line, let's just get it done. That's nice. So what I did is I did the absentee ballot and I did that for the rest of the year. So in, in March or April, whenever I requested them, I right. did it for the rest of the year. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people have a lot of you know emotions when it comes to election day. They like to do it in person. But right. this year for me, I, I just thought, oh, I'm just going to just and so, do it. And you dropped it off in one of the drop off boxes. That's correct. Right? Yeah. You and didn't I, trust the mail. And I also checked online to make sure that they received it. Okay. So you can can do that as well. Um, I checked and it was received on October 1st. Oh. So you can oh, make good. sure that it gets into the right hands. Well, right. Or you can do what I'm going to do today, which exactly. is go and yes, just, just show up. So I, I, to me, it's kind of a compromise. I, I like going and I, and of course, you know that it's going to be delivered. You know that it's going to get there. So that's my, maybe I'll go out and that's have a beer a or something after that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's sort of it. It does kind of underscore the... Um, Part of the insanity, and yes, I, I use that word, and it, it is it is unfortunate that Republicans and Democrats and the governor couldn't get together on one aspect of electoral reform that everybody agrees on, you know, and it doesn't Ron Johnson agrees on this. You have Democrats who agree on this, and that is the idea that the clerk's offices should be able to start counting ballots uh, when, when the ballots are received. Um, the way the law works now is that... The clerks, municipal municipal clerks, are not permitted to start counting ballots that are received, like in Melissa's case, um, through the Dropbox, or ballots that are received in the mail, or ballots that are cast, like if my wife and I go this afternoon and we vote, all those are put into envelopes. You can't start opening the envelopes and feeding them through machines until the polls open on Election Day. Now, the, the reason behind that law might have made sense years and years ago when very few people took advantage of you know early voting and they didn't have two weeks of in-person absentee voting and it was just you know a handful of people that would send the ballots back and it was easy to do that you could just feed them in during you know breaks in the election day now when you're looking at well 
probably over a million ballots cast before Election Day by not allowing the clerk's offices to get started on counting them is going to put a heck of a burden on these local clerk's offices. They're going to be counting, you know, well into the night, maybe for the next day, maybe for the next two days. And to me, it's completely and totally unnecessary. I understand that there is a concern about, you know, election fraud and things like that. You know, we we should be able to get together on an agreement moving forward. It's not going to be in time for this year's election, but moving forward where you have enough safeguards so that, you know, you can have people there watching some municipal clerk, you know, feed the ballots into the machine so they get a head start. Now, I'm not saying you tabulate them. I mean, I'm not saying you push that button so we know how many votes were cast for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. No, you don't want that. But just allowing them to start the process of feeding them into the machine. And, and by the way, for people who are saying, well, you know, it's it'll give a, a hint as to how elections are going to turn out. Well, you already have that. I mean, we, we report, gee, how many ballots have been returned already in Milwaukee? How many ballots have been returned in Dane County? You, you see these numbers. There's a story every day about. Hey, the Democrats are behind on on their voting turnout or the Democrats are ahead or or whatever. It's just to, to me, it doesn't make any sense to not allow people, the clerks, to start counting the ballots as they are received instead of having to wait and say, oh, gosh, you know, we've got a million ballots we have to count. And this is particularly true in some of the smaller communities where you, you don't have armies of of poll workers that are there. You only have a handful of, of people that are there and they're gotta figure they've got to figure out, you know, how to again deal with the crush of people that are coming up and voting on the regular day versus all the other ballots. It it just to me this is something that it's not conservative liberal, it's not Republican Democrat. It's just common sense. All right. Speaking of common sense I am intrigued by this. Many industries and many products have been absolutely crippled during the pandemic over of the last several months. All right. But for, for every 20 or 30 businesses that have been crippled, there's there's one business that has succeeded. And I'm always intrigued by by why this is. And I guess this next topic is. Is it $2,500 well spent, or is it God's way of telling you that you have too much money? All right, I am now on my computer screen in front of me. I am on Amazon, and I type in on Amazon the, the question, exercise bikes. And so I, I'm, I'm looking at all the different exercise bikes that you could purchase on, on Amazon, and they all have these different ratings. But I, I will give you my, my general sense that between, well... The, the $100 exercise bikes kind of look like I'm not sure I want to get on it. But but for somewhere between I'll, $200 to $350, you could get a, a pretty darn good-looking stationary bike. They've got a whole wide range of choices. Um, the, the bikes look like they've got a degree of comfort. The bikes are from, you know, mo- manufacturers that you've heard of. I'm looking at the ratings. They get very different ratings. So that, that looks to me the sweet spot. I mean, you can buy them for less than that, but you know, $200, $350, you could get a really nice stationary bike for your workout. Which brings me to a story yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. 
one of the businesses that has absolutely, totally gone through the roof over the course of the last seven months has been the Peloton bikes. You know, Peloton, those are, I mean, what they are is they're stationary bikes, all right? Essentially, they're they're similar to what you could buy on Amazon for a couple hundred bucks. But what they also have is they have like a state-of-the-art TV system that is attached to them. And what you do is you sign up and you can participate in interactive classes and it keeps track of all the stuff. Okay, the new Peloton Plus bike that came out just a little while ago, it retails for $2,495. This is the Peloton Plus bike system. Now, the regular Peloton bike, not the Bike Plus that's still around, you can get that for like 1800 bucks. On top of that, then you have to subscribe to the service so you can take the classes and do all that. But... Peloton, the, the the bike company, it's um, the valuation. Get this. They enjoyed a 172% revenue increase between April 1st and June 30th. 172% revenue increase. Most businesses have seen the bottom fall out. Um, they posted their first quarterly profit ever in that, that second quarter. By July... They had an order backlog for their bikes. It built to $230 million, more than 100,000 bikes on backlog, 100,000 bikes. The company has a $38 billion stock market valuation. The Peloton Exercise Bike Company is worth more than Ford Motor Company when you look at, at the valuations. And, and people just can't get enough of them. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are are these the new pet rocks? I mean, and and by that I mean this fad. And I'm sure they're quality bikes. And I, I understand the interactive nature of this. But like I say, you can go on Amazon and you can find perfectly serviceable appears to be good quality exercise bikes that you can get for a few hundred bucks versus the the Peloton bike, which is going to cost you, the Bike Plus is going to cost you $2,500 plus however much more a month it's going to be to subscribe to this. Is this a fad? Is this fools and their money soon to be parted? Or is this something that's really, really worth it? And if you've got the dough, you should spend it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, you can you can even go to the gym for for a long time. Now I understand people aren't going to the gym as much, but you can you, you can have a lot of gym membership um for what it's going to cost you. And it's one thing I mean, a lot of times people buy exercise equipment and they're they're really well motivated and the exercise equipment ends up in their basement um, or their, their rec room as something that you hang clothes on. Well, it's one thing to have a $300 exercise bike that you're hanging clothes on. It's another thing for a $2,500 exercise bike that you're, that's doubling as a clothes rack. So I, I obviously do not have one. Don't think I'm in the market for one. I have trouble justifying how you could drop $2,500 on this. But my question, and it is a legitimate one, is is this 
is this worth it? Or is this just some craze that is going to kind of be over very, very quickly once we get through the pandemic? 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just think this this is absolutely amazing. The Peloton Bike Company, you've probably seen the, the ads. Um, the, the, the Trek, uh, the Trek, the, the Peloton, the Bike Plus retails for t- almost $2,500. The, the regular one you can get for $1,800. Then there's the monthly subscriptions. You can go on Amazon right now and find a, a really good, high quality, stationary exercise bike for a couple hundred bucks. I, is this just that this fad or are things changing? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Karen in Muskego. Hi, Karen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I would like to say this is a very refreshing topic to have. Okay. Wait, all right. Well, okay. My, my note says that you, you, uh, you have one of these Peloton bikes. I do. I have one of these Peloton bikes. I believe it was 2017 when I got mine. Um, so I've been, on the trend, I've been on the trend before right. this big explosion, I guess. And you've kept with it. You, you, you're st- you still use it? Yep. Okay. I all do. Right. I have two small children at home. Um, I was pregnant with my second one when we bought it, and prior to my kids, I was an avid runner, and I just couldn't find time to go to the gym and get out, and um, this was just something I bought myself, and I've got it sitting in my basement next to the laundry machine. I do not have the fancy overlook, not in the middle of our living room, Um, (laughs) but yeah, I've... Okay. I've stuck with it, and I love it. Okay, Karen, tell me, explain to me, and this isn't a challenge, it's a genuine curiosity, exchange, right, if, right. if somebody were to buy one today, you, you know, 2500 bucks for the Bike Plus, explain to me the difference between why, why it's worth dropping $2,500 as opposed <laughs> to, again, for, for $500, I, I can get a really, really right. good stationary exercise bike. Where does that two grand come from? You know, I've never owned another bike. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel like I have a fair comparison. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. But, but I know a lot of people who use the app and have one of those nice 200 to $600 range bikes and use the app for the classes right. and whatnot, and they kind of make the best of both worlds. Right. And I often feel like it's a big, it's a, if they enjoy it that way, then they kind of make that investment. They're like, okay, this is worth it to like be all in on it. Got it. Yeah, I, I get it. No, thanks. And again, I, I don't look. I, I people are pointing out. Well, Jeff, you know, you, you talk about how you have an e-bike. Yeah, I, I have. I have an e-bike. I, I like to ride it, but I mean, the e-bike. I, I can at least explain the difference between the regular bike and, and the e-bike. You know, and I and I've done that with the different you know, like commercials and stuff that that we did. I, I can say, okay, well, the e-bike is different than a, a regular bike, and yes, the e-bikes cost cost more, but at least you're this is getting me to ride the, the bikes. Um, to me, and again, it's the issue that I, I wrestle with with Peloton. I'm not telling people not to buy it, but you, you, how you spend your money is up to you. But I, I'm legitimately curious because, okay, stationary exercise bikes, and I understand you got the bells and whistles, but if you can get a really good one for 500 bucks, why are people dropping 2,500 bucks? And they are. I mean, this number, the backlog, it's incredible to me when I saw this. Uh, a $230 million backlog, more than 100,000 bikes. That tells me people can't get enough of them. I just don't know that I get it. Let's talk to Brad in Milwaukee. Hi, Brad. You're on WTMJ. Hi. You know, you were talking about the e-bike. You've 
spend about $3,300 on that uh, Peloton, you can use that, you know, nine months out of the year instead of three months. Yeah, but, it, okay, explain to me the difference between the the Peloton bike and the and just like the the regular what, what makes what's that tooth where does that two thousand dollar difference come from I guess that's what I'm wrestling with well it, it's the, I guess it's probably the motivator the uh, yeah. coach that you have on site yeah. you know instead of going to the gym and having somebody you know rev you up in a spin class right. uh, it's it's that right person that isn't going to go to the gym or doesn't feel that it's safe at the gym and that they have that motivator there right. now of course it's like any other any other instrument if you're not going to use it it's not going to do you any good but i put on about uh three thousand miles a year on my road bike right so, or on my uh hybrid so uh now i don't have a peloton but i do have a Cyclops, so I put my road bike on that for 180 bucks right. and use my uh, yeah. my map uh, my ride for my uh, yeah. mileage. Well, I guess you know. The thing, you know look, and, and again, I, I I mean, I think I think the exercise stuff is is great. My 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 e bike. I don't know what they cost now. My e bike was was not anything close to three thousand three hundred dollars. But but still, I, I I get it. And you can say, oh well, well, why do you want that little motor? Well, okay, to me that was the difference between like riding a bike and probably not riding a bike. I just to me it's kind of like an apples to apples question and i i guess what i'm really wondering is whether this is this product which is really just night and day better this is the new better mousetrap or whether this is just a really great advertising actually that's one of our texters said jeff it's really simple this is great advertising you know you you see the really really super fit people that are on there and they've got you know they're they've got the great view of you know los angeles you know downtown they're up in the hollywood hills and they've got this great view and, and maybe this is just a tremendous sort of advertising you know campaign and again if, if you got the money i yeah, I, I don't. I'm not telling you how to spend it. I'm just questioning. Is I'm curious as to what what makes it worth all this money, Dave and Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Uh, yeah, I have a I have a comment. I, I uh, a while back I decided I'm going to say like three years ago I went to uh, the local store Aldi's and in, in January and I picked up a uh, perfectly good uh, indoor bike. Uh, eighty nine dollars. It has all the uh, it, it has all the equipment on yeah. it to tell me how fast I'm going, what my pulse is, how many miles I'm going, how many miles per hour. It does all of that, and I can pull it out. It folds up and goes into my closet. It's out of the way. I can take it out into the living room. I do it every morning. I go five miles on it. I lost fifteen pounds. I, I liked it so much. I bought another one for my cottage up north, and I use it up there when we're up there. It's so, a great. It was a great buy for me. Okay, so you're talking eighty nine, ninety bucks times two. So you got two of them for one hundred and eighty dollars, and you're saying you're it's you're just as happy with your two hundred eight your two ninety dollar bikes as you would have been with the the twenty five hundred dollar Peloton bike. And I think I'm happier because my wallet's a little heavier. Well, that, it's, uh, you, thanks. For, well, your wallet's a lot heavier. I mean, I, I and again, I'm I'm not telling people not to buy Peloton. I'm just. I will say this. I am going to be really curious two, three years from now 
as to, first of all, all the people that have invested all this money, whether they're, they're still participating, like our, our caller Karen was, you know, God bless her, you know, but whether they're, they're still doing it or whether, again, like happens so often with exercise equipment, you're, the, the, the piece of equipment has become like a glorified coat rack or, you know, clothes rack or, or whatever. Um, and again, it, I, I guess if it's going to happen, I'm much more comfortable with it happening on an $89 bike as that is on a $2,500 bike. On the other hand, I mean, maybe this is going to be, this is really like turning all the stuff around. Time will tell. This is Jeff Wagner.